All right, let's open up to Romans chapter 13. Or will and we'll, we'll go over the first 10 verses. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you are to us. You're a heavenly father. Lord, you're a provider. Lord, you're the lover of our souls. And we thank you. We thank you for all of the children here and the teenagers and their various classes. And we just pray that you bless the ministry and the teaching that will be going on in those classes and buildings. We pray for all of your servants on this campus to be empowered by your spirit, that you would give your servants wisdom and strength. Lord, we pray against any attacks or schemes of the enemy tonight. We pray that you'll be glorified in every part of this campus. And Lord, I pray for the gift of teaching. May you help me, Father, to rightly divide your word of truth. May you give me a fresh filling of your spirit because none of us can can serve effectively without your spirit. So, Father, I pray for an overflow and that you would meet every need in this place tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 10, we're going to hear about politics and love. (laughs) Now, it seems like those two topics don't go together, especially with the climate today, the political climate today in our country. But we're going to go ahead and, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to still touch on both of those topics because they're included in the word of God, namely in Romans 13, verses 1 through 10. But of course, our main focus tonight will be on love. In the word of God in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 it says all scripture, that, that's including the Old Testament, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God breathed and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness that the man of God may be complete or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So why bring up those two verses tonight in 2 Timothy 3 verses 16 and 17? I brought those up tonight because as we look into the topics of politics and and love, we're going to get into some doctrine, some teachings from the scriptures. And also, as it says that the, the scriptures are profitable for reproof, we're going to see that the word of God tonight will shed some light on what's wrong with our view. If there's anything wrong with our view or perhaps in our walk. And so we're going to learn some biblical doctrine teachings. Then, of course, see if there's anything wrong in our life or view. And then, of course, it says for correction. And so if there's anything wrong, then the word of God will show us how to correct it, how to how to get that broken view or that broken place in our lives back into place. And so there's going to be some correction, perhaps in instruction and righteousness. And so we're going to see those things in this lesson as we look at these topics of politics and love. And as I mentioned, most of all, we're going to be focusing on love. And so tonight is one of those lessons where, We're going to be challenged. There's some lessons that encourages or exhorts and some lessons convict us. It's the word of God, depending on where we are. Some lessons, of course, challenge us. And so all of us will be challenged tonight. In verse one in Romans 13, if you want to look there, it says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. In other words, they're placed there by God. And so just to give you a plan on how we're going to approach the first topic of governmental authority, 
where we're going to do is look at authority and government in general as it's supposed to be. And then later on in the study, maybe touch on some exceptions, because as we're doing a study on this topic, you're going to have some exceptions come to mind. And so we're going to deal with it as it is stated in the word of God in general. And as we see in this first verse in in Romans 13, we are all commanded to submit or to be subject to the leadership of our government. And what is the reasoning behind this command? We see a couple of reasons in this very verse here. That first verse. First of all, we see the general principle that all authority comes from God. And since this principle is true, the people in their offices are put there by God, given that authority. Now, before you begin to think about, well, that's that's easy for the Christians back then to say. That that's easy. That may have been something easy for the Apostle Paul to write. Well, wait a minute. Remember, I I read some scripture at the beginning in 2 Timothy 3, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, as God breathed. And so the Apostle Paul is writing down God's God-breathed word. And so remember at that time, before we start thinking that they had it easier, remember that Caesar Nero was actually the emperor of the Roman Empire at the time this letter was written. Now, Caesar Nero reigned from A.D. 54 through A.D. 68. And Romans was written about A.D. 57. And this leader, by the way, this emperor was was known in history as a cruel leader. This is the same leader who would eventually blame Christians for the devastating fire that occurred in Rome in A.D. 64. And then not only would he blame the Christians, he would go on to have many Christians persecuted, tortured and killed. So this is the type of character who was in place as a government leader at that time, at the time this letter was written. And that's for all of us who, who are thinking that, oh, maybe they had it easier. No, they didn't. Now, in verses two through four, it says, therefore, whoever resists, whoever rebels or opposes the authority, that is governmental authority, resists the ordinance or institution of God. And those who resist, who oppose, will bring judgment, punishment, in other words, civil penalty upon themselves. In verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. That is the evil works. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise or approval from the same. For he, that is the authority, is God's minister. Minister also means servant to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid for he, that, that authoritative figure, does not bear the sword in vain. That is judicial punishment. He doesn't bear it in vain or for no reason at all. For he is God's servant or minister. He's an avenger or punisher to execute wrath. To execute punishment on him who practices evil. As we read in this about government leaders, remember that that this is in general, this is God's perfect will in regard to one of the main purposes of human government and its leaders. This is his perfect will. The perfect will is his preferred will. And so that's what we're talking about when we say this is perfect will. This is his preferred will. But unfortunately, some governments and, and even some people operate in what is called God's permissive will. It's not his perfect will, but it's what God allows. Even if somebody uses their will to do evil. Because remember, nothing can be done without God allowing it to happen. But God always has a greater purpose in mind. 
And so what men mean for evil, God has a purpose to use it for good. And the perfect example is the crucifixion of Jesus. Men meant it for evil, but it turned out for good for many people who will be saved from hell, from the penalty of sin. Men meant that for evil. But what they didn't know was God was using the crucifixion of Jesus to save many souls. The souls of those who repent and put their faith in Jesus. And so it's his perfect will for these human governments to protect the law-abiding citizens and to punish the evildoers. Now, as we read these verses in verses 2 through 4, notice that God gave the government authority to perform capital punishment. And capital punishment was actually instituted in Genesis 9-6 because man was made in the image of God. So God instituted that. Well, wait a minute, Darrell, isn't that under the law? No, that was before the law was even written. That was in Noah's day. And then it's still in effect here as we see in Romans chapter 13. So he gave the government that authority to perform capital punishment. Now the application we take for this, from this, for us, as we look in those verses, two through four, we we see that if we obey the law, we won't have to worry about facing the terror of the government. And again, this is in general. This is in normal circumstances. We'll get to the exceptions a little later. For example, those who are making money in an illegal way. I grew up in a neighborhood where there were, there were drug dealers. You know, so I saw some transactions take place. So you see that. You see some people making money in, in other kind of illegal ways and, and you notice that these people, every time they're standing still in front of their yard, they, they just, they just don't look at peace. They always have to watch their backs. Why? Because they're doing something illegal. They're not obeying the law. And so for them, the, the rulers are a terror. So they're all jittery. Now, how about those of you who or maybe like me who was, who was sneaky with some things. Parents told you not to do something, so you snuck it. And so you're watching your back. You're making sure your parent isn't looking. Dad told me to eat all of my food. And I didn't like something on my plate, so I'll chew it, put it in my hand, and kind of walk and sneak out. But I had to keep an eye on my dad, too, as I was walking to the bathroom to throw it in the toilet. But But that's what happens when... When you're not doing something right, you got to be sneaky and looking around and all jittery. And so the, the contents of these verses or in these verses, actually, as we see, they, they shed more light on, on why we shouldn't take vengeance into our own hands. Because I don't know if you remember our last lesson, but in Romans twelve nineteen it says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And so again, we we see that these verses shed more light on why we shouldn't take vengeance into our own hands. Because one of the ways that God executes vengeance or carries that out is using government leaders. That's one of the ways that God handles evildoers. Not the only way, because he could deal with some people directly. But this sheds more light on Romans 12, 19. In verse 5, it says, therefore, you must be subject. You must submit, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. You see, some people have a motive of not doing wrong only because they're afraid of being punished. So that kind of lets me know that some people... If they wouldn't get punished, if they wouldn't get that negative consequence, they maybe they would go ahead and break the law anyway. And so some people have that motive. I don't I don't want to get in trouble. So that's the only reason I'm doing it. But then you see in, in the second part of verse five, where it says not only because of wrath 
are you to submit to governmental authority, but also for conscience's sake, your conscience's sake. And our conscience is the sense or awareness that is within us. And it helps us to distinguish or tell the difference between what is morally good and what is morally bad. So as we look at that phrase, but also for conscience's sake, it's saying to submit to government authorities, not just because we fear getting punished, but because we know what is right. Our conscience tells us what's right, what's wrong. We know that. So obey because you know what's right and you know what's wrong. So you want to avoid what's wrong. Law of the land, stop at a red light. And so we obey that. That has nothing to do with disobeying the, the word of God. It just helps to protect folks from running into each other. In verse six, it says, for because of this, you also pay taxes for they are God's ministers. They are God's servants attending continually to this very thing. And so we pay taxes because because government leaders have a job to do. And in general, they have a job to protect the law abiding citizens and to punish the evildoers. And of course, we want them to be effective. So again, that that's in general, that's God's perfect will for human government. But I'm a citizen of heaven. I don't have to pay taxes or read the words of Christ because Jesus didn't tell us to rebel. He didn't tell us to not pay taxes to the government. And you can turn to Matthew 22 verses 17 through 21 for proof. And in these verses, first of all, so you can have some context The Pharisees and the Herodians wanted to catch Jesus in his words. They wanted to catch some contradiction in his teachings. And so they said in verse 17 in Matthew chapter 22, tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and says, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Jesus was blunt, firm. Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius and he said to them, Who, whose image and inscription is this? Who, whose picture and inscription is this on this money? And they said to him, Caesar's. And, and Jesus said to them, well, give therefore to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's. And to God, the things that are God's. I just love the insight of one minister of the gospel. Because the word of God tells us, and and this minister of the gospel, this Bible scholar pointed out, that just as Caesar's imprint or image is on his coin, so is God's image is on mankind. And so we are to give our whole lives to God. As a matter of fact, in Ezekiel chapter 18, it says, all souls are mine. And then you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, we read how God purchased us. So our bodies, our spirits belong to him. So we belong to God twice over. And I say twice over because first of all, we belong to him because we are his creation. Humans were made in the image of God. And right now the image is marred. And so we need to be born again. And God is doing the work in us who are saved to, to mold us into the image of Christ. But in general, we, we have the, the image of God. That's how he made mankind. Created us. So first of all, we are his via creation. But second of all, this is why it says t- twice over. Second of all, We belong to him because he purchased us with the precious blood of Jesus on that cross. And so we're to glorify God with our bodies and in our spirits. We belong to him. And so whatever belongs to Caesar, whatever belongs to the government, gives to the government. It's their inscription on it. But whatever belongs to God, that is you, your whole being. You have no right to keep that back from God. 
That's why it says in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. We belong to God, but God gives us the choice to present our bodies to him, to be used by him, to live for him, to glorify him. In verse seven, it says, render or pay, therefore, to all their due, pay to the government, whatever they're owed, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs. To whom customs. And so those are tolls or fees. It's, it's sort of like an indirect tax on goods, almost like a sales tax. Pay those things if that's what is owed to the government. Fear or respect to whom respect. Honor to whom honor. These are things that are owed to the, the leaders of our government that God put in place. And so I have to ask the question, do we respect authority in our government? Do we respect our supervisors at work? Now we're going into our jobs. Do we respect our supervisors? Do we respect the authority figures in school? Do we respect if we're, if we're youth, the authority of the parents that God put in place? Do we respect authority? Because if we don't, it may be a sign that, that we are not willing or that we're not Respecting the authority. Because how can we not uh, respect the authority that we see. And claim to respect the authority that is God who we don't see. When all authority comes from him. And we remember when we bad mouth those who are authority figures, whether they're government leaders or or our bosses or teachers or principals, whatever the case may be. Remember, there's some kids who are watching. Remember, there's some unbelievers who are watching, who are listening. There's some co-workers who are listening, who are taking in what you're saying about that manager or about that supervisor, about that CEO. And so that, of course, is going to hurt our witness. If we're participating in those type of discussions that they're participating in, talking bad about the government leaders, of course, we're going to see some things that are not godly. And so we're going to, you know, obviously, you know, uh, discern between what's good and bad and and things like that. But overall, big picture, what kind of witness are we being? Now, here's some final thoughts about government leaders. Final thoughts about this, this first topic, which isn't really our main topic, but we're going through this topic because we're on our way to the main course. Remember, we're going to talk about love and we're going to see the connection there. So here's some final thoughts about government leaders. First of all, and this is just a reminder, God is the final authority. In other words, he's the king of kings, Lord of lords. He is the ruler of all rulers. There's an example in the Bible I like to use. And that example is King Nebuchadnezzar. And at that time, he was the king of the Babylonians. And one day, Nebuchadnezzar, he was he was out and he was walking. And his heart became full of pride as he began to see his kingdom, the kingdom that God put him over. And he began to to almost think that he has gained all of this success on his own. And so this king here, he was given the mind of an animal. And he became animalistic. He began to live outside. And, and his hairs are like feathers, it says. And he lived like an animal for that period of time. And that was actually fulfillment of a dream, a warning in a dream that God had given to Nebuchadnezzar. Until he realized who is the true king, who is the ruler of all rulers. And so being filled with pride, he began to puff himself up. But after that time passed, that he spent time behaving like an animal, having the mind of the animal. After time passed, he was given Back his right mind. And Daniel 4 tells us that the kingdom was restored to him. And as the kingdom 
was restored to him, there's something that King Nebuchadnezzar said in, in Daniel 4.34. He says, and at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And so he learned that God is the final authority. He had to learn it the hard way, but eventually he learned it. That God is the one who's truly in charge. A second thing, and this also comes by way of reminder. A second thing about uh, about government leaders is that all uh, uh, people in authority, people in leadership, uh, all the authority they have comes from this God who has all authority. And another example I like to use is is still in the book of Daniel. And so we're going to wear the book of Daniel out a little bit. If you turn your attention to Daniel 221, I'd appreciate it. But I want to give you some background on this situation. Now, before I get to the verse in Daniel 221, just want to let you know that Nebuchadnezzar had just had a dream and he had some wise men in this kingdom. He had some astrologers. He had some magicians in his kingdom, some Chaldeans in his kingdom. And and so he went to these wise men. He said, look, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They were like, no, tell us the tell us the dream first. Then we'll give you an interpretation. And and so Nebuchadnezzar, okay, you want to mess with me? How about I kill all of you? And and so Nebuchadnezzar, he gave the command to kill all of these, these these wise men who couldn't tell him the dream and this interpretation. He gave the command to do that. And so uh, this guy comes to Daniel's door and Daniel was like, hold on, what's going on here? And, and he filled the man on what was going on. And so Daniel was like, okay, well, give me some time here. I'm going to seek the Lord in prayer. And so in seeking the Lord in prayer about this dream and its interpretation, God in his faithfulness, in his grace, he revealed the dream and the interpretation to this man of God, Daniel. And so Daniel, he was happy. And so what he began to do is praise the Lord. And as he began to praise the Lord, this is a part of what he said in Daniel 2.21. This is what he says about God. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. So all authority that people in leadership has come from God. He pulls down kings. He raises them up. But but we want to keep the following in mind. We want to keep the following in mind as as we still stay on that topic about the people God has put in place. Because now we get to some of the exceptions. And so what I want to share with you is that God's appointment of leaders over government is not necessarily a stamp of approval of their behavior or their policies. For example, he allowed Pharaoh to be raised up. He allowed Pontius Pilate to be raised up. He allowed Caesar Nero to be in place. He allowed Hitler to be in place. And so the fact that he allows people to be in positions of leadership is not necessarily God's stamp of approval. And so I want to take that off the board for people who are perhaps questioning that. Now, second thing to keep in mind as as we're talking about the people God put in place is that. Yes, God can use evil leaders. For example, Satan can't can't do what he does unless God allows it. But God always has a greater purpose. And if you don't believe that again, go back and read Job. Job was afflicted. But as we look at those situations in regard to Job, notice that the devil couldn't do what God didn't allow him to do. But at the end of the day, Job, and I like to say this, was literally blessed double for his trouble. Literally. If you read all of the oxen and all the animals that he had at the beginning and then at the end of Job, they literally doubled. God had a greater purpose. 
So, so God is still in control. He is the sovereign God. So yes, he can use evil leaders, not approving of what they do, but God works all things together for good. And for example, God used Nebuchadnezzar. We talked about him earlier. So I want to stick to him. God used him to bring judgment on various nations. And it wasn't because Nebuchadnezzar or the Babylonians were, were, were holy or they were good or they worshiped the true and the living God. But no, God decided, according to his will, to use Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians as his instrument of judgment, even against Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. Now, another leader God used, and I mentioned him earlier, is, is Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. This man had authority during the time of Jesus on earth because, again, God gave him that authority. Now, if you remember the story, Pontius Pilate found no fault in Jesus, and he was even looking for a reason to release Jesus. But Jesus wasn't talking enough, according to Pilate, who wasn't cooperating enough, according to Pilate. And so then Pilate said to him in John 19, verses 10 and 11, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power or authority to release you? And Jesus answered, and this is in line again with our lesson tonight. Jesus says, you could have no power at all against me, except it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Another thing we need to keep in mind about the people God put in place is that certain leaders are in place to perhaps um, help the believers to mature, to further God's plan in the life of the believers, maybe to light a fire under the saints to share the gospel. Maybe some God allow some of these crazy unbiblical laws to get passed to to sift the true believers from the false. Maybe he used it to, to light a fire under the true believers to share the gospel with those who are not saved. Because these people who have these false beliefs and supporting unbiblical laws, the only way they're going to change is to be born again. And how can they be born again if they don't know who to believe in? How can they know who to believe in if nobody preaches the gospel to them? And so maybe God is using these things to light a fire under the saints. Maybe he's using these things and allowing certain government leaders to be in place to mature us. And one thing you find out in places where the persecution is heavy upon the people of God, notice that those churches are still thriving. Notice what happened even even in the book of Acts when persecution hit. All that did was cause the gospel to spread because the the believers, they spread out. And as they spread out, they shared the gospel uh, even more than what they had been doing. They weren't just concentrated in Jerusalem anymore. And so God uses persecution even from an edict or something from a government leaders to further his plan in the life of believers. So sometimes that happens. But another thing, human leaders help us to realize It helps us to realize that we're missing perfect rule. We're missing the rule of Jesus. So that's why we don't want to get too caught up in the the world's politics. Because, yes, we're supposed to obey the laws of the land. But we're also uh, citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And we have a king who's going to come back. And he's going to reign on this earth literally for a thousand years in, in what we call the millennial kingdom. And we're going to rule and reign with him. Those of us who are saints right now, we're going to rule and reign with him, have various responsibilities in that millennial kingdom, in our glorified bodies. And so having imperfect humans in leadership helps us to to long for that kingdom. So we don't get set in the world's ways. But also... Some of you are thinking this, and I want to address this before we move on, is that, well, what what about those laws that, that contradict our beliefs? 
What if we don't see authorities who are, are protecting the law-abiding citizens and, and punishing the evil, but instead they're, they're, they're applauding the evil and they're putting down the law-abiding citizens. They're, they're putting down the, the children of God, the believers. And so we may see authorities who do that. What we're told in the word of God that we're not to obey when their laws contradict God. When the laws of the land contradict God's word. And this same Nebuchadnezzar at one point set up an image, this huge image of gold. And at that time, these, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these Jews, they were living at the time, Daniel's friends. And so every time they played music, people were supposed to bow down and worship this image. And whoever didn't do that, Guess what? They were going to be thrown in a fiery furnace. And so the word got out that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not doing this when the music played. They were not bowing down to this golden image. And so Nebuchadnezzar has a, had a meeting with these men. Meeting with these men. What, what's going on? Okay, I'm going to give you a second chance to do what's right. In his sight, of course, and of course, they wouldn't give in. They still refuse to worship any other God. They refuse to obey what Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to do because it contradicted the word of God. They are not to have any other gods before him, before the true and the living God. And so Nebuchadnezzar had the furnace heated seven times more than usual. And that was the punishment for anyone who didn't obey what he wanted. And at the end of the day, we see that God had delivered these three men. And so the lesson for us is that we don't bow down to the world's gods at the prompting of the world's music. In other words, at at the prompting of the world's pressure, we don't bow down to their gods. We don't bow down to, to any laws that contradict the word of God. And this Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego What you see here is that they had the same attitude of Peter and the other apostles when they responded to the high priest. This high priest was reprimanding these apostles because they taught in Jesus' name. And so the apostles said and Peter says, well, look, we ought to obey God rather than man. And that was the attitude of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that should be our attitude when the laws of the land, when the government leaders don't, don't have laws in place that are in line with the word of God in verses eight through 10. It says, now we get to this part. It says, Oh, no one, anything except to love one another for he who loves another has fulfilled the law for the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, they're all summed up in the saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law or fulfills the requirements of the law. Now, I wonder if anybody, and it's probably a, I'm sure it is a rhetorical question. Doesn't it feel good to pay off whatever you owed? Doesn't it feel good to pay off any debt you had? That's just a huge burden and a feeling of relief. And so we may pay our taxes, as it says, I believe, in verse seven, we may pay our taxes, pay those taxes off, federal, state taxes, pay those off to the government. We may pay them respect, the respect that is due to government leaders. We may pay off the fulfilling of our debt of giving honor. We may fulfill what we owe, our debt of paying customs. We may do all of those things for the government. We may even repay a kind deed. We may repay a student loan. And it feels good to do those things. But as we see in verse 8, there is one debt that we will never, ever be able to pay off. And that is love. You see, loving others, as verse 8 tells us, is a perpetual debt. It says, oh, no one anything. Don't owe the government anything. Whatever you owe, pay it off. But you never be able to pay off loving one another. A perpetual debt. A debt we'll always have. And, and as long as we're loving one another, we find in this lesson that we are fulfilling the law. 
And how are we fulfilling the law? Well, the scriptures are plain because if we're, if we're loving one another, then we won't do harm to a neighbor. And a neighbor is anyone we meet. We won't do harm to a brother or sister in Christ. We won't do harm even to our enemies if we're, if we're loving other people. And so when we love, we fulfill the law. We won't do any of those things that's mentioned in, in verse nine. We won't, we won't murder anybody. We won't commit adultery. We won't do any of those things if we truly are loving one another. And also, if if we are truly loving others, another byproduct that we'll see is that we won't need to keep up with what moral law we're obeying and which ones we're not obeying. We won't have to look at a list of a bunch of laws and check off what we're doing or not doing. As we see here in Matthew twenty two thirty seven through 40. You know, you can jot that down. Because Jesus pointed out two main laws. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Because all the law hang on the law and the prophets. Or these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Those two. Loving God with everything within us, with our whole being and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And so we won't need to keep a list to check off what we're doing and not doing. If we're just loving the way the word of God says. Another byproduct of loving as we're supposed to, as it as it tells us in verse eight. Is that when we show love to our brother whom we have seen. We are indirectly showing love for the God that we can't see. And so, again, when we show love to our brother, when we show love to one another whom we have seen, we indirectly show our love for the God we can't see. And so do we love our neighbor? Even if that neighbor doesn't agree with our beliefs, even if that neighbor steps on our grass, Even if that neighbor complains about the weeds that might grow up from time to time in our yard. Are we loving that neighbor? That neighbor that we can see. Because we have to remember this, that that people again are made in the image of God. We have to remember that we are commanded to love even our enemies. We also have to remember that God loves them. And so if we love who God loves and follow the commandment to love, even our enemies, not just those who love us back, then what's going on there is that we're showing our love for God in an indirect way because Jesus said it best himself. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And God's commandment says to love one another, love your enemies. So when we're doing those things, we are indirectly showing our love for God. Because we are, we are obeying his commandment to love. And we're loving who God loves. So do we love our neighbor? Do we love our brother and sister in Christ? But just to tie up our lesson as the worship team comes to the stage. Guess what? As we talk about our neighbor. Guess what? Politicians are people too. <laughs> oh yeah, we tied it together. Politicians are people too. Do we love them enough to pray for them? But on top of that, guess what? Your supervisor is a person too. And that supervisor may be your enemy, but Jesus says, love your enemy. So are you praying for that supervisor who's in authority over you? Oh, wait a minute. Oh, my parents get on my nerve. Oh, my parents always are in my business. But guess what? If you were you, that, that those parents have authority over you so are you loving your parents or how about that that hoa president that that sends you those notices in the mail if you don't do this or that then i'm going to send you a fine that person is in leadership in that community are you loving that person although they may be acting like they're an enemy of yours how about the leadership in the church guess what when people say they're praying for us i'm happy That's a blessing to us. We need your prayers. We appreciate that so much. So I know many of you are prayer warriors. You pray for the leaders in the church. Thank you. If you can continue doing that, we would all appreciate that. And you do show love to us when you do that. And how about landlords? 
Landlords who raise your rent. And that might get on your nerves a little bit. But are you loving them too? Are you loving them enough to guess what? Pray for them. Now check out what it says in 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 through 4. And then I'll leave you alone. In 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 through 4. And it's going to wrap up everything we talked about. It says, therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, those are specific requests in prayer, prayers, those are general prayers, intercessions, you praying on behalf of others, and giving of thanks be made for all men, or politicians under all men, for kings, And all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all things. Or I'm sorry, in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. When we pray for those in leadership, when we pray for all people, that's good. And it's it's acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. So are we loving people enough, no matter where they are, how high of a status they have, how much money they make or or not make? Enemies or not, are we loving them enough to pray for them at the end of the day? Because God desires all people, including, of course, politicians. And I keep saying that because of our lesson. All men to be saved. That is his perfect will. Doesn't always happen. But that's his perfect will. Wants them to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We pray, Father, that you help us to love who you want us to love. We pray that we'll stay true to your word. In all things, Father. We pray, Father, for forgiveness if we haven't been doing anything that was in tonight's lesson. And we pray that by your spirit, you'll help us to make those corrections and to be that light, that salt, that godly example, that effective witness that you called us to be. I pray, Father, that when somebody who's maybe an unbeliever this week comes to us and they talk about politics. As if that's going to solve everything or maybe bad mouth. And I pray, Lord, that you open a door in that conversation for us to talk about Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you use my brothers and sisters this week. And for those who need prayer, I just pray that you would urge them to come forward after the service. And if there's anyone who's not a believer tonight, who hasn't put their faith, their trust in Jesus, I pray that you'll draw them forward as well. And Father, we give the rest of this night to you. May you be glorified. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for coming out. God bless you and God keep you. We love you. Amen. If you need prayer, um, I'll be up front and I believe... You know, Joe, he's a prayer warrior. He'll be up there as well. God bless. You call me from the grave by name. You call me out of all my shame. I see the oldest past. Come now, I have resurrection power.
I'm not afraid. 